0: Welcome to the seventh uh, Care Home Management Magazine podcast, sponsored as always by my Learning and employee engagement made easy. Uh, my name is Steve Hemsley. I'm the publishing editor of Care Home Management Magazine. Uh, flying solo this time on today's podcast. Uh, uh, my usual fellow presenter, Alan Rustad, is away for the week, but he will be bringing in and taking part in care in the news uh, uh, in a few moments time uh this is a bit of a special care home management magazine podcast because we're looking at employee ownership and whether care homes might want to consider going down the employee ownership uh trust route we'll be talking to uh, jeremy wolford he's managing director of middleton hall retirement village in the northeast Uh, they have become, uh, we think, the first uh, retirement village care sort of centre to go down the employee-owned route. So that will be really interesting. We've got a good detailed in-depth interview with him. We're also talking to David Ledley-Kramer. He's area sales manager at Electrolux Professional Laundry. He'll be giving some tips for your care home so you can make the most of your laundry, make it more efficient uh, in both time and money. And we're also talking to Sam Greenhow. He's business development manager at Florence that's a recruitment app for social care an online platform to help care homes manage their nursing workforce and to find the best nurses in their area Uh, so plenty coming up uh, but first as always we're going to take our look at Care in the News.
1: Care in the News a review of this week's headlines.
0: And Care in the News uh, this month is sponsored by Patterson Health and Social Care, recruiting and training quality staff across the health and social care sectors. Uh, Don't forget, if you want to sponsor parts of the podcast, then please get in touch and you can reach the hundreds of people already downloading our podcast every month. And joining me, as always, is our editor, Elsa Cahoon, and uh, Alan Rustad, who's normally in the studio with me, presenting the Care Home Management magazine podcast, but he's in Devon this week. Uh, Alan, thank you for calling in. Uh, Two good stories. Um, Elsa, your story is all about the uh, deprivation of liberty safeguards and how health authorities uh, across the country really can be quite slow to process these uh, applications. Why did you choose this particular story?
2: Well, um, morning, Steve. Um, a morning, Alan. Um, well, yes, it's absolutely true that it's not just in Wales either. I mean, we did a story recently um, in Scotland uh, showing exactly the same thing, and this is all this all tracks back to changes uh, in the um, deprivation of liberty safeguards that took place. I think it's about ten years or so ago now, uh, which widened the definition of those people who should receive an assessment, and and essentially, you know, it's just too many people for. The system, at, and, and they're blocking the system. Um, so basically, the, the nuts and bolts of the story uh, in Wales was that uh, Anglesey One Health Authority was taking well over 300 days to authorise the doll's application. And uh, really, they should be taking, I think it's 28 for uh, a standard, it's 28 days for a standard, um, application an assessment, and uh, seven for an urgent one. Um, so this is obviously, you know, well over. I mean, 300 days is nearly a whole year so that's somebody that can't get the is not going to get the care they need um, while while their application is going through the system it is a system that's broken I mean and this is this is pretty much why the mental capacity amendment act has uh, taken its very long and tortuous process through uh, Parliament's to come
0: into force, Do you need then to reduce the number of applications, or or just to actually deal with them quicker and have the have the
2: resources? Well, yeah. I mean, I I, do, I mean, I think I think there is a, an argument to say that the people who are who are going in for assessment, you know, need that assessment. I mean, it is something that's required for their care. So the fact that numbers are rising is due to a you know the broadening of the definition, but also of course b due due to the increasing complexity and frail, frailty of people who are entering care homes. Um, well, what I I mean, what the new legislation, the amendment act, is trying to do is to is to make the system a little bit more live and flexible, um, but also, of course, you know, you do need to put more resources in into that as well.
0: So, Alan, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, how is it? Do you think that the sector can speed up these applications because it is a UK-wide uh, issue? Is it a simple thing to do? How important is it?
3: They are important, and I think the problem, is, as as Elsa has rightly pointed out, is is resources because we are going to care homes older and frailer than we ever were. The demand uh, is is increasing and these kind of assessments have to be met. And there isn't the staffing, there isn't the systems in place uh, to be able to do that. Clearly, 300 days is an absolute nonsense and that should never uh, be allowed to happen.
0: Now, Alan, your story is from the president of the British uh, Geriatric Society, Professor Tahir Masood. Uh, it's a story that ran in the national papers about how the UK is apparently running out of care home places. Uh, Bit of a scare story, some people would say, but we were talking off air about how much truth there is in this and worrying people. But I suppose a lot of this, the reason he's done this now, is to uh, raise awareness and get it uh, being spoken about at a national level. Uh, Why did you
3: choose this story? Well, he's certainly gone big on it. Uh, the, The headline, UK running out of care home places, as geriatric society chief certainly sort of made my eyes open a little bit because he's saying that the quality of care for older people is set to fall and the wheels could come off completely. Well, um, maybe they could. What, What really caught my eye was that more than 100 care home operators collapsed in 2018. Now. We all know the stresses and strains as we've mentioned already, uh, while we've been discussing the news, but 200 collapsing suggests that, uh, that the system is in complete disarray. Of those 100, my betting is 95 of them are probably um, individual care homes run by, you know one person or a, a very small company. Um, only a few have really made it to, uh, to, to, to lose out big time. Um, and I think we're going to we, we, we could run into trouble. Uh, it also says the number of people in the UK aged eighty-five or over is expected to more than double in twenty-five years. By twenty forty, nearly one in seven Britons will be over seventy-five. The need is there, and I think dare I say it, the dear old green paper that we're long awaiting and probably will never get to see uh, this side of Christmas, I shouldn't have thought. Action needs to be taken to encourage people to come into the sector, not just to help those already in the sector, but we do need to encourage more people to get involved in the sector and realise that Providing care for the elderly uh, is a, a decent industry to be involved with.
2: It's not a. It's not a simple question to solve, of course not, because um, uh, you know the the problem is is that you have uh, you know is it a failing of um, domiciliary care? You know, is it a failing of the support that we give um, families? Is it a is it a failure of housing policy that forces young people to move away from um, where, you know perhaps where they live because they can't afford to live near to ageing parents and so they're not there to offer familial support you know is it a failing of hospitals and is it a failure of primary care who you know cannot keeping people as well as they should do um i mean it's a it's an absolutely huge question really as to as to why you know there are too many too many people for care homes to say i've just been to the care forum speaking to a, a care home that's just about to open another four homes um doubling i mean it's a small operator obviously um, but doubling the number of homes that they've got to 8 they're they're completely um you know they're, they're completely optimistic about where care is
0: thank you for that now alan you are as we said in devon at the moment but you're back for our july podcast which is going to be a care home awards special care home management is the official media partner of the care home awards uh how much are you looking forward to
3: that alan looking forward to it very much indeed yes it'll be uh year three of the care home awards which is uh, great news i'll be uh, there on on the day i know you can't quite make it but i'm, I'm going to be there and with uh, uh Tape machine in hand, so we'll be talking to uh, the winners, uh, maybe a few of the runners-up, hopefully the organisers as well, about uh, how it has gone this year.
0: It's uh, also care home open day that week, isn't it? On the Friday, the day after the awards. Uh, Elsa, are you covering that online and in the magazine and care home management? Uh,
2: we have done. In fact, we in our um, last issue, in our in our May issue, we uh, took a look at uh, PR and marketing of homes, which is obviously you know part of what care. Home open day a big part of what care home open day is all about an opportunity to tell people about yourself and show people about yourself lots of uh, very good hints and tips in the may issue about uh, how to market your home um, care home open day is, is is crucial in that really and it, it is an opportunity to demystify um, you know what modern care homes are like I think people will, will be quite surprised actually
0: well thank you both uh, just to clarify the care home awards are on Thursday June the 27th and the care home open day is is on Friday 28th. Uh, thank you very much to Alan Rustad and our editor Elsa Cahoon. That was Care in the News.
2: Welcome to the wonderful world of MyEco. At MyEco, we're committed to developing the tools to make managing your business simpler. Whether your goal is to revolutionise your training programme, reduce your staff turnover, improve employee communications or simply to save time on your tasks each day, MyEco is here to help 24-7, whenever and wherever you are. Sales at MyEco.com 01202 806 000
0: Well, welcome back. Uh, This is the Care Home Management Magazine podcast, sponsored by myaco.com. Now, here's a very interesting interview. I caught up with Jeremy Wolford. He's Managing Director of Middleton Hall Retirement Village. And that uh, was the first of its kind to become employee-owned. He set up an Employee Ownership Trust uh, how did he do it, and is it something uh, care homes could follow and do? Uh, lots of benefits, but lots of work too. So let's hear what uh, Jeremy had to say. Jeremy, thank you for joining us. Perhaps you could just tell those listening a bit about uh, Middleton Hall and why you went down this this route, because it's quite interesting. As and you are the first, and others might want to follow your lead.
4: Okay, so Middleton, Middleton Hall Retirement Village is a fairly large retirement um, village uh, based in the north England of the Darlington. Um, we have about 180 employees again of 200 people um, living here and they're based in where we're unusual in the retirement market is that we have seven different services on site so that ranges all the way through to leasehold properties um, either apartments or our uh, zero carbon houses um, all the way through to um, full nursing care and we offer a, a sort of a continuum of care throughout that which people can move in between um, as their needs change.
0: So what was the thinking to um, have an employee ownership trust?
4: Well, the thinking well, essentially came from the fact that I got involved with this 23 years ago. So I joined Midland Hall by accident. Uh, what's uh, the, I, so, I came what's the story? <laughs> <laughs> I turned up for what was supposed to be two days in 1996. <laughs> and Somehow, despite I lived in London at the time and had my own business in London, um, ended up staying. It wasn't part of my career plan at the time. I have no background in social care. In fact, i would never even visited a care home before. But what I learned in those two days was that Middle Hall was essentially a financial mess. As mm. it was, is a... Is that
0: why you were there? Was it to sort out on the financial side? Yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I was there. They, the then director told me that what it needed was a business plan. As it turned out, what it actually needed was a rescue plan. As in the financial situation was far more severe than I probably realised until I got there. But because I knew nothing about social care, I started thinking about, well, what would I want to live in as an older person? Um, I was in my thirties at the time. And I realised that when I went to visit, some care homes I've been told were very good, which I thought were were poor, being quite frank, Uh, far better than what we did, but what they didn't offer me was the lifestyle I'd want as an older person. Then we wrote a business plan, which I didn't even know it was called retirement village at the time, but essentially it's the idea of, providing a range of different forms of accommodation, which would be then, we provide different services to those depending on, on needs. So a very person-centred, as I now understand it, service across different um, varieties of, of accommodation so that's how i accidentally got involved 23 years ago and in that time we've moved from being you know a heavily loss-making nursing home to this sort of full service retirement village model that we now have so
0: having created this business plan and trying to get the retirement village on an even keel uh why was the employee ownership an important part of this what did you see that as a uh, as a benefit for the for the future
4: well, the thinking came from the fact that um, I'm no longer a 30-something, I'm now a, a 50-something. And one does have to think about what happens in the longer term. So over the last 23 years, it appears that we've been doing quite a decent job. You know, our care services get raised as outstanding by CQC. We have very high level of customer satisfaction. And the choices then are, well, do I sell the company to a bigger company and social care is littered with very values-driven businesses that have been built up, then sold, and things change. And I was never comfortable with the fact that I'd spent 23 years building this retirement village, that it might fall into that category where it became a a less values-driven, more profit-driven business, let's say. I started exploring employantship about four years ago. As part of that, I visited employee-owned uh, organisations in the UK. So John Lewis being a prime example. And what I learned from that is that all I visited, uh, in detail, uh, about 10 employee-owned organisations. All of them told me that their experience had been that at, when they became employee-owned, their customer service went up, their employee engagement went up, and the, their operational efficiency went up. So that seemed to me to be a pretty good formula for how um, we could retain the ethos so that's so it, really where it started
0: from yeah so is it four years now or are you saying that's when you started thinking about it so
4: no we started thinking about it four years ago and yeah. the the bit that made it makes it complicated are the financial elements of it because we have spent 23 years building stuff in simple terms and therefore we have significant um, fixed assets in the business. Um, many employee and organizations might be, for example, professional practices where it's all about the, the, the people, the goodwill of the business is all based around the people. For us, yes, it's based around the people, but also we've got, you know, a lot of capital values thing here so it's a question of how could that work as a transition to employee ownership so four years ago our level of debt probably was higher than would be ideal so we wanted to get that down make sure we were very consistent in terms of profitability before we look to hand it over to an employership trust
0: i suppose one of the questions is how you know if this is going to work because often you've spoken to other employee owned companies and that have these trusts but is there any way of testing it at the start or you just think it's going to be a good idea and and, and hope for the best
4: <laughs> oh, not really you... we just cracked on with it <laughs> <laughs> no i mean there isn't i mean what i did we did research it carefully i the, the ownership Association were, were, were helpful. I spent time visiting other employee businesses, talking to their founders, looking at what happened, talking to their new directors in some cases, and talking to their employee trustees, getting a proper feel for what it should look like. And then from that, we formed a version that would fit a retirement village
0: well that's uh, interesting you, you're saying there you have to get the model right for a retirement village i mean how does that differ then in terms of some of the people you're talking to you mentioned john lewis it's quite a flagship idea for them other retailers other companies what exactly did you have to do to mold the employee-owned trust to fit um, our sector
4: Well, there are two models broadly. There's a direct ownership where essentially, when people join, they buy shares, and when they leave, they sell Mm. their shares. And then there's the Employership Trust, which is the John Lewis model. And in that, you join, you become, in John Lewis's case, a partner, in our case, a co-owner. And you receive financial benefits as a an owner of the business, during your period of time. And when you leave, you cease to be a co-owner. So there's no, for us, many of our staff would not have welcomed the idea of having to put, you know, Put their hands in their pockets to buy some shares, and although there, there are plenty of creative ways in which you can do that, actually that's probably not appropriate for for our sector. Yeah. So the employee trust gets over that problem.
0: So how does that work then for the employees? Because they're not putting money in, but they are co-owners. So what's the benefit to them? How how does that work?
4: Well, in in, in... Simple financial terms, they receive each year from our operating profit. We have a formula we put in about reinvestment back into the business. We've, we're also setting up a charity as part of it, which some which money goes to. We then have to make a bank repayment um, and indeed that a loan, which um, I have made to, the, to the business. And once that that's done... We would look to pay them a profit share bonus, et and under a government scheme for employee owned organisations, that's a tax free bonus, you can pay up to £3,500 tax free uh, each year to your employer.
0: So how many co-owners have you got? Is is everybody a co-owner?
4: Yep, everybody is a co-owner, uh, so about 180. Right. So that's the kind of financial bit of it. The other part of it is that, I said at the beginning, this is about preserving the ethos of what we do. Mm. I happen to think we do a decent job at the moment. We've set up the structure so certain things have to be achieved before we pay any bonuses. So, for example, our customer satisfaction has to sit above a certain level. We have to get the top level of ratings, um, like CQC, for example, environmental health invested in people and a number of others before we pay any bonuses at all so the aim of that is so it's balance between the quality of what we do and the profitability of what we do so
0: you're sort of setting kpis in a way to, to work towards and measure against uh, but can employees opt out of the scheme or do they sort of buy into it straight away and, and you, you find they, they they want they want to be part of it for all the time they're they're, they're working
4: they become that they become a co-owner since we employ them they Mm. don't qualify for bonuses until they've been with us for 12 months Mm. and that's something that we agreed when we announced in september we then went through a significant period of consultation with all our employees about how they felt about it and how they'd like the structure to actually work and from that we developed a structure which is, is what we've now
0: got in place. We were talking uh, before we started recording the interview about uh, that we couldn't think of any other residential village or any other care homes that uh, have gone down the employee owned uh, trust route. Uh, why do you think that is? Uh, what do you think they're missing out on by not doing it? I mean, obviously you went through quite an uh, intensive due diligence check before going down this route. I and mean, What are the other benefits? And do you think other care homes you know, will be persuaded?
4: Well, the real benefits should be, first of all, for our customers, so we have customers as Return Village that have, you know, own leases here, because we have lease properties. So they have, if you like, money in the ground here. So from their point of view, this gives them long-term security. The residents that you know, live in our care facilities understand that there is a, a process of reinvestment and continuous improvement, which will be maintained, because that's how we set it up. For our employees, um, they have far more say in how the business is run, and they so that should result in things like reduced um, employee turnover. I mean, ours actually, by industry standards, is pretty good already. Employee turnover last year, excluding our bank staff, was about twelve percent. We are, where I think the industry average sits somewhere between in, in the mid thirties. I think you'll probably know that, Steve. Mm. It's it's very much we we should all. I mean, we've been a living wage foundation employer for quite some time. And our aim would always be to make sure that as an organisation, we've got a queue at the door of customers that wish to live here and employees or prospective employees who want to work here.
0: And I suppose what's interesting what you're saying there, I mean, most of our readers and listeners to the podcast are, are care home managers, owners, directors yeah. who are looking to really engage their staff. And I know This is always an issue about getting engagement and people not moving on too quickly so I suppose this you, you said the employees have a more of a, a say and they feel like they've got a stake so That the whole engagement model is, is really helped by this type of
4: way of working yes I mean that. I mean I I happen to believe that we've already got pretty good employee engagement um, and indeed our employees tell us that however all the employee and organizations I went to see before we put this plan into action all told me their employee engagement had improved as a result of becoming employee owned, because actually we've just been holding last week what last year were called staff briefings, which is sharing the staff our business plan for the year, and this year they're called co-owner briefings. Because right. so actually it's their business now; it's not my business anymore. It's their business. So they have you know a, a real stake in how we're operating, and I would like to think that will incentivize them to be more creative about ideas of how we can improve and how they can be involved in, in things like business
0: planning. That uh, engagement is crucial, isn't it? And I noticed from your website that uh, you talk lots about innovation at Middleton Hall Retirement Village. And I just wonder whether there's any good examples of where, you know, great ideas have come from the staff. Now they do feel and are uh, co-owners of the business where they have been you know, quite, feel quite free to, to suggest ideas that would benefit the business and ultimately benefit them.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, for example, we were doing some uh, refurbishments a short while ago um, of one of our care services, which involved putting in some new ensuite bathrooms in our rooms. Uh, I have a weekly um, drop-in where anyone can come and ask me, and our maintenance supervisor came to see me as part of that and said, I've been looking at the plans for these new rooms, and I've been talking to carers. We don't think that the bathroom layout is going to work. So actually, that needs to be done by an architect. So we changed the plans, built it according to that feedback. And as a result of that, we now have far more practical ensuite bathrooms in those new rooms.
0: Well, it does sound like it's been a great success for, for you. Um, for those listening, what would be your advice? I don't know if there's three key bits of advice you would give to care homes who are thinking, this sounds like we uh, we should go down this route too.
4: OK, the, um, the first one would be um, really probably need to be a values-driven business first and foremost. Uh, if it is an out-and-out business around money and nothing else, I'm not convinced it's a very suitable model. And one of the reasons for that, which I haven't mentioned, is that because of the way our assets actually are, I'm, I've essentially lent the employees the money mm. to to do this. So I'm being repaid over quite a long period of time in order to make sure that the, we can keep, to, keep reinvesting in a business and, and the cash works neatly without putting a strain on the business so my first thing would be it needs to be a values driven business secondly i think i benefit a lot from really taking time to understand what works and what doesn't work for employee ownership it's not a you know a golden bullet that's going to give you instant success it will only build on what you've already got so it still needs to be a successful business Um, the third thing is about involving employees so we had a project team running for six months before we announced it. So a bit of a, um, a secret project team, all but you know six, which was uh, six people, and none of our 180 employees knew anything about it apart from those six when we announced it on September the 10th last year. But then what we did is we spent a lot of time with our employees. In we planned to have some consultative groups. We ended up taking I think about 130 of our employees through those consultative groups because what we found is that. That helped them understand it better, as well as providing us the feedback on how they would like to see it work. So for I'm taking one simple example from that, the normal model is to pay bonuses based on the percentage of salary. That's what you're John to did. Indeed. Um, we took the view, and our employees absolutely agreed in the program process, that we pay a flat rate bonus. So everybody from whether or not you are a carer, a driver, you work in our bar or are not your managing director receives the same cash bonus each year going forward and that came from us spending a lot of time talking to employees about how they would like it to work as well as how we want it to work Trust cannot be sold well it can be sold but the money goes to charity yeah so okay. it's not an opportunity for carpet bagging first of all yeah. that's <laughs> how we've chosen to do it yeah um, the the business I would like to think is going to continue as it has done for the last 23 years, which is improving what we do every year. Um, and that's how we set a trust up to maintain that journey. But I think that this will give us a lift in terms of employee engagement, and mm. hence help that move. However, we have just, you know, we only set trust, trust up at the um, 1st you know, of April, um, and we've now got a co forum running, and I think it'll take us a year or two to get those working well, because we're learning as we go along. We haven't been able to pop down to you know, another example to find out exactly how they've done it. So I think it'll take us a couple of years. And that's an absolute key thing for us, because one thing, selling the business and the trust, it's another thing altogether to make sure that that now works for the long term. So we're going to focus very much in the next two years on getting all those um, new bodies working well, and working with the board of directors to stay the same to make sure we get real benefits from all we've done. I do believe it's a good model for social care because this is, I've just been talking earlier on it—and some of my residents who were asking about about employmentship um, because we kept them very involved and I was reminding them that yeah, this is about balancing being a profitable successful company with the quality of what we deliver as well and that I happen to think is, is an interesting alternative to pure capitalism for social care. Uh,
0: Jeremy Wolford, uh, thank you very much uh, for your time. Not at all. For daily care home news, visit chmonline.co.uk Five and a Bike specialise in working with care providers to increase occupancy rates and showcase your homes using remarkable video tours and emotive case studies. Having worked with some of the top care providers in the UK, we understand your challenges and can take the complication out of creating video content. We're running a special offer of 10% off your first video tour, so call 01494 868 409 to speak to one of our experienced production team or email us on office at Well now it's time for a couple of supplier interviews and our editor Elsa Cahoon caught up with a couple of suppliers recently including um, David Ledley uh, Kramer from Electrolux Professional Laundry. He's uh a uh, area sales manager there and he is talking about a new range of tumble dryers that the company is launching for Care Homes and also giving some key advice on how to get your laundry spot on.
1: So I'm speaking today to David Ledley-Kramer, sales manager at Electrolux Professional and you're a laundry. You're a, a provider of a laundry equipment and you've got
5: some new products out. Yeah, we're launching line 6,000 the heat pump tumble dryers and we've got it in three sizes, the 7 kilo, the 14 kilo and the 20 kilo.
1: Okay, and this is really for us because we have a laundry feature coming up in our uh, May-June issue of Care Home Management magazine and we'll be discussing um, how homes can make their homes better, more efficient at doing their laundry, which is obviously of mutual interest to you as well as as to them. Um, So tell me, David, what's the the biggest mistake that people tend to make with their laundry that leads to inefficiencies?
5: Probably not sorting the linen um, at source. Typically you find that um, customers will mix bedding with towels and be because they all have a different uh, uh, level of residual moisture and um, you're best off to sort it out so that way you're, you're washing the correct textile and that, that way they are getting the same uh, chemical and... Um uh, and so the heat setting, and then also that, the right cycle on tumble dryer.
1: Right. Okay. Why do people put? Why do? Why are people tempted to put them all in at the same time? Is it just
5: convenience? Yeah, it's just for ease, isn't it? Just bungle it all into the into um, the washing machine to fill it up, get it done quicker. But you're better to separate it, and also you're better to um, to load the machine fully as well. Uh, you're best not to underload or overload the machine uh, to prolong its life. Um, we have something called efficient dosing, and we're actually uh, where's the uh, the load within the washing machine drum, and then. Do- is the correct amount of detergent dependent um, and so therefore using not only less detergent but less water uh, using less electricity because you're heating less water.
1: So tell me what is overloading? Is there a way of knowing if you've overloaded your machine? Yeah it depends on the
5: textile that you're processing so if you're washing uh, 100% cotton for example you want to fill the machine pretty much full. If you're doing synthetics then you want to um, obviously Fill it about half full instead.
1: I didn't know that. Why? 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 Synthetic's only half full.
5: Um, because you get um, it's the mechanical action is greater on a cotton cycle than it is on a, um, a synthetic cycle.
1: Well, there's something I didn't know. I shall take that home and improve my own laundering efficiencies. <laughs> Thank you very much. No problem.
0: Well, some good advice there from Electrolux uh, to help you with your laundry in your care home or in your own home. Thank you, Elsa, for that one. Uh, Well, Elsa also spoke to another supplier, a technology company this time, uh, Florence, and she caught up with Sam Greenhow. He's a business development manager at Florence who make a recruitment app for social care. It's an online platform. And here he shares his advice on how you can manage your nurse workforce and use uh, the, the technology to find the best nurses in your area.
1: So I'm speaking now with Sam Greenhalsh and you are the business development manager at Florence. I am indeed. And Florence is a new recruitment app, a nurse recruitment app for social care, is that right?
6: That's right, yeah. We're an online platform that sits between care homes and nurses and it basically allows care homes to post all the shifts that they need filled that would usually go out to agency Uh, and there's lots of, well we have 20,000 nurses across the UK. They can then view all the shifts that are local to them. They can apply for those shifts and then it's down to the care homes to pick and choose which nurses are right for them to do those shifts.
1: So The one thing that I've been hearing a lot is the difficulties that care homes have with their nurse, uh, their nurse workforce, finding good nurses, keeping good nurses. Um, what, what do you think is the problem there? Why, why is it so difficult to find good nurses, first of all?
6: I think volume is one of the big things at the moment. I don't think we're training enough nurses at the moment, but there's a lot of things like that that are out of our control. But there are certain things that are within our control that we need to be looking at. There's a few different things that I think we've always done in this industry. And there's a few things that we can tweak and we can change and ways that we can sort of bring the industry into 2019, Digitalise processes, and do things just slightly differently that can really help businesses be more efficient in terms of cost and time and just making sure they're getting the right calibre of staff into their homes. So at the moment, a lot of our businesses that we speak with spend a lot of time on job boards. The typical Indeed, Gumtree, all the standard internet job sites where they think, yeah, we'll find some nurses there. It's not necessarily the case anymore. The industry's changed, technology's changed, and people are changing with it and it's a case of us keeping up with that to make sure that we're being as efficient as we can in finding the right nurses and the right staff for our homes so from the research that we've done we find that less than 5% of nurses find their job on job boards so where are they finding it it tends to be at the moment social media so at Florence we find the vast majority of our nurses through social media so Facebook Instagram um, LinkedIn huge as well for clients this is the smart way to spend your time and your money at the moment advertise for nurses on there word of mouth huge amount of word of mouth on Facebook in particular nurses love to talk and so ner- if
1: you're a good home and uh, and you're and and your 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 colleagues, your existing workforce, sending the message out that you're a great place to work. That's a strong motivator.
6: That is, that's the dream for an employer. You want people to be speaking about you in positive way but they can be your biggest ambassadors admittedly they can be detractors as well so if they super about you negatively you need to try and control that as best you can but being on a public forum like that is a real real benefit so if you're on Facebook and you've got nurses preaching about how good you are, that's them developing your brand for you and brand is so important developing your brand is happening now whether you like it or not, whether you're controlling it or not your brand is being developed as we speak so being aware of that, manipulating that to your benefit and controlling it as best you can to be able to develop that to pitch to the same nurses that a lot of your competitors are that's what you need to be mindful of
1: one thing another thing that people are concerned about is retention is you know they've gone through this process they have found some great nurses but you know they they find it difficult perhaps to retain them social care can be a challenging it can be a challenging environment to work in yes. so what's your number one tip for people to retain their to retain the great nurses that you've helped them find in the first place
6: the biggest thing has to be support It has to be, the staff that come and work in your home have to feel happy and have to feel supported in the role that they're doing. So generally people that come and work in care, so whether it's nurses or care workers, they're there for a reason. They've gone through years of training because they want to be in this profession and they've wanted that for quite a long time. So we've outlined a few different things that all kind of amount to what we should be doing to recruit and retain, Uh, but is the big thing. There's a whole onboarding process. If we can make that as slick as possible, as efficient as possible, it settles the nurse in and allows them to hit them, hit the ground running kind of as soon as possible. Creating a care-centric organisation is key. It's absolutely paramount. The NHS actually has a really good little diagram um, about the four key elements of being a care-centric organisation, which is making sure it's personalised, coordinated, enabling, and to make sure that people within that organisation, especially the patients and the residents, are treated with dignity, compassion and respect. I think man... Kind of manipulating your organisation to making sure that's a key part of it is essential for making sure your staff are happy and supported in
1: their workplace. So it's a fantastic, a fantastically important topic at the moment, particularly as uh, as uh, Brexit perhaps makes its impact on on the on the on the sector. Who knows who knows where we'll be next week? Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, on that subject. But uh, it sounds like there is a lot that that social care can do, that nursing homes can do to to maintain their workforce.
6: Oh, hugely. There's so much that's still within our control that needs to always be we need to remind ourselves of that that there is still so much that we can do ourselves to make sure that our staff are happy and that they're going to stay with us so things like personal development making sure we have personal development plans for all staff that we're having regular catch-ups it seems so simple and something that seems so obvious that so many companies don't do or don't do enough and don't take enough notice of so the staff then feel supported they feel as if they're getting the training they need it highlights knowledge gaps that we can then fill and it also highlights things that we might not notice as sort of managers and leaders within a business it's things that it's a fresh pair of eyes they'll spot things within a company that we might not necessarily have realized and that we can then help shape our business kind of moving forwards that can then best suit our residents and our kind of patients moving forward
1: okay super thank you very much you're listening to the care home management magazine podcast
0: Well, that's the end of another Care Home Management Magazine podcast sponsored as always by myaco.com. Learning and employee engagement made easy. Thank you very much to our guests uh, for this podcast. Jeremy Wolford, MD at Middleton Hall Retirement Village for his uh, insight into creating a employee-owned trust. Uh, Also, thank you to David Ledley-Kramer from Electrolux Professional Laundry and sam greenhal from uh florence about talking about their recruitment app uh thank you to uh also to uh, elsa Cahoon, our editor um don't forget you can get all the news at chmonline.co.uk and thanks to alan rustad who will be back in july with a care home awards special um don't forget it's the shows as well it's a residential and home care show uh, later this month um, at excel Um, and you've got the Care Home Awards and Care Home Open Day so June is a very busy month for the care home sector thanks for joining us we'll be back in July